Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in the Indian Ocean World, a podcast series on the New Books Network. This podcast is for listeners who want to sail the waters of the expansive Indian Ocean and learn about its past and present. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Mazmi from Princeton University. Today I'm here to talk to Professor Chaya Goswami, the author of Globalization Before Its Time, The Gujarati Merchants from Kutch published by Penguin Books in 2016. Jaya Goswami is the head of the history department at SK uh, Somaya College, Mumbai, in India. She uh, specializes in the maritime history of South Asia, the Western Indian Ocean. She has authored the award-winning book by the Indian History Congress, The Call of the Sea, Kutch Traders in Muscat and Zanzibar, between 1800s and 1880, published by Orient Black Swan in 2011. Her current research project focuses on maritime trade and piracy in the Gulfs of Kutch and Persia between 1650 and 1820. By discussing globalization before its time, we will explore how did the Kutchi traders build uh, on the Gujarat advantage. In the 18th and the early 20th centuries, during the the dying days of the Mughal Empire, merchants from Kutch established a flourishing overseas trade, building on a rich legacy of free trade in pre-modern times between the many ports of Gujarat and the Middle East. The Kutchis dealt in pearls, dates, spices, and ivory with the faraway lands of Muscat and Zanzibar. The Kutchi merchants behaved much like today's venture capitalists, They knew how to grow capital, seek new markets, and create them where they didn't exist. They also had a phenomenal risk appetite. What they were able to practice was nothing less than the traits of globalization before its time, as this book argues. Welcome, Chaya, to New Books in the Indian Ocean World, and thanks so much for taking the time to talk about your book today. Thank you, Emma. Thank you very much for the opportunity also. Thank you. We would like to get to know the author first. Um, if you can say a few words about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school, how you became interested in the history of Kutch and Gujarat and trade and the Indian Ocean world, and if you had any scholars and mentors that shaped and influenced your career. Well, I grew up in a suburb of Mumbai called Mulund and completed my schooling in a Gujarati medium school, namely uh, Sheth Moti Bhai Panchan Rashtriya Shala. I was the first one in my family to pass the 10th grade exam conducted by the Maharashtra State Board. And in my school days itself, history as a subject caught my attention. I have a vivid memory of watching a thrilling movie on Shivaji, the founder of the Maratha Kingdom, when I was in a grade 4 itself. So it certainly left a deep mark on my tender mind as I got attracted to reach such engrossing kind of narratives of the past. Thereafter, the lessons on the world wars and the Indian national movement caught my fancy. Resultantly, I ended up liking all my history teachers at school irrespective of how they taught. Now, this passion fortunately continued during my undergraduate studies in the Vase College of Mulun. And uh, my amazing college teachers, namely Dr. Preeta Nilesh and Dr. Sonali Pednekar, captivatingly taught the histories of the Far East and America, respectively. Now, with this strong foundation, when I joined my master's class in history, my love for the subject knew no bounds. Though most of the master courses I studied on my own, uh, the course on British constitutional history and Dr. Mariam Dosil, who taught me that course, brought a significant change in my learning journey. In fact, I developed a sweet bond with her 
as i at times offered her chocolates uh, uh, before the class started and by being her regular student i managed to drew her attention out of the 100 odd students though somehow i could complete my masters my journey ahead was never that easy in fact it was difficult during the masters day for my mom said enough to the studies and insisted on getting me married because by then according to the kachi uh, or you can say gujarati societal norms i was already late in getting married for a year i was upgrading my cooking skills i made sketches did some some kind of meeting and all the other works which would have made me a homemaker but not a historian but destiny had other plans perhaps once in a casual conversation over uh, uh, my future studies to dr dosel i referred to her how being a kachi i have some inbuilt limitations dr dosel who being herself a half kachi um convincingly advised me to pursue either mphil or phd on kach as very little research was done by then so again convincing my mo- mother became a task uh, she said i don't approve the idea but if you wish to do it do it on your own independently fortunately i had saved some money for my birthday celebration and that was my first investment in pursuing phd with full enthusiasm and conviction despite all her concerns about my marriage my mom quite happily accompanied me in my visits to kutch and amdabad for the field research so she played definitely instrumental role uh, dr mariam dosel who became my research supervisor became my mentor all too as uh, she suggested me to a review a book on kutch by rashbrook williams and also select articles on the socio economic history of india and insisted uh, spending a longer time in the archives thereafter there was no looking back and till date uh, the date with the maharashtra state archives continues well my story so far you know highlights how i was initiated to research but when it comes to selecting the subject of research structural uh, structuring the research uh, methodology or uh, even writing it was all fixed by me and i did not receive any formal training on closely studying maritime indian ocean because my courses of post graduate uh, studies were different and so it purely depended uh, on how i went ahead with it quite unconventional journey of doing research uh, i covered not certainly the way the foreign universities or the uh, leading universities of india such as jnu tutor or coach their phd candidates for instance i couldn't get hold over uh, uh, abdul sharif's book so like you know those limitations i had when i was doing phd and funding was also not available so um, but anyways i have a i have very interesting uh, link with the princeton university i want to refer your i am so tempted to share with you and can't resist may i sure yeah so when i reached the writing stage my supervisor was uh, awarded a senior fellowship by the princeton university though it was a happy news it stressed me as i wanted to submit my dissertation that year Dr Dosel told me to hurry up on the process of writing i did speed up on writing and completed the drafts but uh, by then it was her time to go to princeton as a solution she told me to post her the uh, post her the final draft of the dissertation to her princeton uh, princeton office address and i think if i remember correctly it was around the fall of 2002 i posted her the spiral bounded dissertation and thus years ago my dissertation was read and approved in the campus of princeton uh, before its final submission in december 2002 after around 18 years you emailed me to give this interview and one of the reasons to say yes to it is this um, because this unusual small story behind it Oh that's fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing these intimate stories uh, and encounters that really shaped your journey and I'm sure many listeners would uh would relate to that. 
Um, we'd like to talk about your book now. Um, Globalization Before Its Time, as, as a book idea, how did it develop? And what was the research process like and the writing experience? And would you say that this book connects or departs from your first book, The Call of the Sea, Cutty Traders of Muscat and Zanzibar, in what ways? So this idea of the book straight away came from Gurusharan Das, uh, who had uh, conceptualized a business history series titled Story of the Indian Business in the non-fiction category with Penguin Books. And he had first approached my supervisor, who by then was doing her long-pending research on Kutch. But uh, knowing very well that my first book was already underway on the business history of Kutch, she recommended my name for the series. Following up from there, I sent a draft proposal to Gosharan Das. Uh, since I was writing for Penguin, the writing experience was stressful from the beginning. And in the entire exercise of giving more than what I what was already getting published, um, I was uh, kind of under pressure. Additionally, the reviewer's suggestions were quite uh, thought-provoking but demanding too. Resultantly, I ended up crossing the uh, set word limit of 50,000 to around 100,000 words. Imagine my plight. Because I had challenges of the early motherhood and fending all the odds sitting on the floor when I wrote and wrote. The journey was already trying in nature because we had shifted then. So our house was also not in good shape by then. So all the time writing at home was also not possible. So I searched out a local library. It was uh, quite a disgusting space filled with filth and quite noisy too. However, I had no choice because I couldn't afford to waste my time in commuting. So it was indeed a time of solitary and had left no space to personal or social life. And yet, writing this book, I thoroughly enjoyed. For I realized that how there are interesting narratives constructed around the commodity exchange. I was transported to different spaces and material cultures, came closer to dates, trade, and America's Thanksgiving culture, Victorian houses, and story of pianos, and ivory, arms trade, and European works which manufactured Martini Khan, pearls, and Bombay Bazaar, merchants from uh, Salem, Marche, Hamburg, clove uh, uh, orchards, uh, uh, gum copal trees of the mainland Zanzibar, and above all, a fascinating deep Indian Ocean and uh, Kachi entrepreneurs and seafarers. So this is how you know the whole uh, process became so enjoyable. Um, yes, the this question. Uh, uh, that how this book differed from the previous one did bother me greatly as the challenge was huge to offer something new to the series and Penguin's reputation had already built up the pressure, pressure as I said. So my sweet dilemma was how am I going to retain the importance of both the books? One uh, by then was in the press and other was peer-reviewed by Gursharandas and Lakshmi Subramanian. In fact, uh, uh, their suggestions made a huge difference. I greatly changed the perspective. Yet, a puzzling question was what's new in the book? Because I cannot reproduce what's already there in the first books. I think it rarely happens to the authors that they get back-to-back -back opportunities of writing on the same subject. Any Anyways, uh, taking up the challenge, I went up, um, you know, I went back to the archives and the Asiatic Society of Mumbai to recheck if I had left any records on the Kachis uh, unconsulted and their uh, trading enterprise has something new to offer. And uh, when I was still not satisfied, then it occurred to me that I have had not much written on the pearls and dates in the story of uh, Kachis in Muscat. I immediately then ended up contacting Vimal um, Purecha, the descendant of Ratansi uh, Purushottam, uh, to consult his family records on Ratanshi Purushottam. And this, uh, these documents were compiled by Dr. Calvin uh, Allen, and he promptly sent me the scans of it. So he, he was quite uh, you know, generous in sharing this with me. 
and my confidence level built up and in a me- in the meanwhile i flew to canada to attend an iowc organized conference on textile at mcgill university to meet the expectations of the scholarly audience i presented an interesting paper on textile of kutch and uh, east african market um, this paper helped me to explore the contesting textile market of zanzibar uh, sorry zanzibar built around kaniki and uh, merikani i also expanded the scope of writing on ivory gum copal cloths and uh, foreign firms so with this touch of redoing the research and rewriting i managed to bring a desired amount of difference between the two books a uh, digest on local customs in gujarati and uh, professor berenci's book helped me greatly in building up the novelty in the first chapter so then i consider writing on various sub themes like marine insurance or language of the business which i had either cursorily a uh, kind of referred or not included in the first book i continued to talk about the mercantile firms i have had already referred in my first book and yet i rewrote and expanded upon um, uh, for instance ratan shipushotam uh, and his arms trade and the writing style was customized to circulate the re- uh, readership to the lay readers so that was also a difference uh, from the first book the book definitely is quite accessible and quite grabbing in its prose um which makes it really an enjoyable read um let's turn now to the book and its chapters the book is divided in four chapters with an introduction and a conclusion and the introduction uh by gurcharanjas we learn about the gujarati uh, or the gujarat advantage the pre-modern free trade in the indian ocean uh the violent mercantile age and the story of indian business how would you uh, situate gujarat and see its early mercantile history prior and post uh, to the portuguese arrival and what do you mean by or what does uh, uh, das means by the gujarat advantage okay so since uh, time immemorial gujarat with uh, its uh, long coastline was the active participant in the trade of the arabian sea its uh, maritime past has interesting nuggets to, of information on some of the ports to start with both uh, ptolemy and periplus mention about baruch as a premier port uh, which ended up stretching the trading network to the red sea zone uh, especially socotra uh, for around 5 uh, centuries of the ce period the epigraphic and archaeological evidence attest the preponderance of uh, baruch in socotra and after it khambath that is known in the english uh, sources as cambe cornered much of the uh, maritime trade in the background of the western seaboard of the subcontinent the primacy of stambha tirtha or khambayat or cambe as a port and its impressive uh, hinterland and foreland um, are you know kind of uh, important uh, ideas to note and the theory of the feeder ports like somnath uh, goga sanjan and the shapes up here as these ports contributed to the preeminence of cambe the contributory factor was the agrarian prosperity in gujarat the gujarati ports indeed acquired prime spot and became the focal point not only for the exchange of commodities but also uh, for the cultural transactions the jewish geniza records uh, you know, consulted by professor ranbir chakravarty in india and others who have published it show how gujarati trading network with malabar and the red sea was reciprocal and substantive um alongside these two features in the record suggesting its trading interaction with eden so the leads derived from the jewish records prompt the scholars to comprehend the complexity of the interport connectivity however baruch continued to be the port of importance but uh, uh, no longer you know the port to port transfer theory can be the only way to see the 
uh, Gujarat is uh, progress as far as maritime trading network was concerned. And in fact, uh, more than Khambat, Beras, that is uh, Bharuch, um, is referred in the Jewish trading network stretching from the Red Sea to Gujarat. So, uh, you know, traditionally what is the notion is that, okay, after Bharuch, Khambat rose in importance, but uh, the Geniza records are suggesting that uh, Bharuch stayed on. Kambat, no doubt, Kambay was always, uh, of course, an important port uh, once, uh, you know, it, uh, it was noted uh, for its trading network. But overall, anyways, when we talk about what Gujarat provided was the shipping network, trading network, financial circularity and market. So, interfaces of exchange system were the four, uh, uh, with the foreland and uh, feeder ports and with the coming of the Portuguese, the tone of aggressiveness at sea set in across the Western Indian Ocean. So, their focus uh, shifted from southwest coast to the western coast of India. So, here also there is a change, right, because the Portuguese are now um, entering the maritime scene of Gujarat. So, two of the ports like uh, Deev and Daman, the Portuguese won it from the Sultan of Gujarat, Badur Shah, um, through a treaty of uh, Basin and it became their uh, base in Gujarat and they capitalized on Gujarat advantage when their trade with Mozambique and East Africa and later on Surat as a Mughal port emerged quite strong. So, this was quite an aggressive phase as the pirates from the western coast did not let the Portuguese settle down easily. Now, this, this particular narrative is still awaited to be told. And Gujarati entrepreneurs from Deev and Surat actively uh, participated in the growing commerce of the Portuguese East Africa. Merchants especially from Deev utilized the Portuguese connection from India and were actively engaged in the commerce of Mozambique and Swahili coast, making products of Gujarat very popular and which fairly continued to dominate the import trade of East Africa throughout the 17th century. Similarly, the commodities of East Africa form the important component in the import trade of Deev, which is evident from the fact that manufacturing industries at Deev in the textile pr uh, production Ivory and tortoise uh, shell carving and gold work increased in great numbers, about which uh, Edward Alpers refers in his work. And due to the changing political order as a result um, of successful Omani inroads into the Swahili coast during the second uh, half of the 18th century, trade between Gujarat, Arabia, uh, and East Africa underwent a significant transformation. So, this is how, you know, we can link uh, the pre-Portuguese and Portuguese history till the 18th century. And in so happening, the Portuguese intervention in the early 16th century in the Asian trade paved way to new patterns, which emerged after the rise of British in India and the Omani Arabs on the Swahili coast. So, uh, this, you know, the stage was set by then. Uh, as far as the merchants and their profiles are concerned, be it Shantidas Zaveri, his son Kushal Das, Purshottam Das or Dayal Das from Ahmedabad, Abdul Ghafur from Surat, each one along with managing the mercantile enterprises took up the important uh, political portfolios or contributed in shaping the state politics of pre-Portuguese and uh, during the Portuguese times also. So, at the crucial juncture of their regional polities, these merchants also plunged deep uh, into the political affairs, which significantly transcended the political economy of Gujarat. And in fact, I am quite excited to redraw this age uh, uh, imagery in my new book. So, this is how I would like to uh, narrate the story of uh, pre-Portuguese and Portuguese period. Thank you for giving us this long durée perspective on the ancient trade routes from the Roman times all the way to Islamic times between Old Cairo, the Red Sea, Aden, Southern India and Gujarat, and then moving all the way to the 18th century. Let's now 
move on and talk about the first chapter, Kutch, Land of Entrepreneurs. In this chapter, uh, you give us um, introductory remarks about many things, such as the mercantile communities and the Mahajan, uh, politics and trade, migrations, the rise and fall of Mandvi, uh, the horse trade, sailing traditions, and so on. How did trade and, and markets develop initially in Kutch and Gujarat, as you alluded to uh, in the long durée, but specifically during the 18th and 19th century? Uh, and, and how is it connected uh, to the rest of Eurasia, if you talk about the hinterlands, but also across the Indian Ocean? Well, I like this question of yours, and it made me think and think uh, more on the market perspective and uh, how the linkages were, uh, you know, stretched beyond the uh, borders of the Indian Ocean and then... Uh, I mean, across the Indian Ocean and Eurasian hinterland. So through diverse uh, trajectories, the trade and market developed in Gujarat and Kutch, largely caravan trading network connected to the umland of Marwar and Pali with the Kutch coast, enriched the long distance trade network with the Western Indian Ocean. Then uh, there is uh, uh, another... Uh, second uh, kind of you know network which is developing uh, because of the intra gulf uh, of kutch uh, interaction uh, that is uh, south of gulf of kutch and north of gulf of kutch this makes Kat- kutch and kathiawar geographically and their their intra gulf uh, interaction is also not much uh, discussed about so uh, when we when we connect this uh, with both the Arabian Sea and the Persian Gulf, we can see, uh, you know, how interactive uh, the whole uh, trading experience becomes. The third one was rich but overlapping inter-Delta, inter-regional uh, trade with Sindh. And the fourth was intercoastal links with Bombay and Malabar coast. Uh, I'm leaving the Eastern India right now because uh, I just want to give some kind of a coherence to this uh, linkages. I mean, the the trade routes and the uh, inland and hinterland connections. So all these routes and markets supplied the surplus to the Arabian and the Persian Gulf regions. Uh, for instance, uh, Sindh was the chief supplier of grain in the Arabian Gulf. Supplies on which principally Muscat depended. In the late 16th century, the most profitable trade for the Portuguese Casado uh, established at Lahari Bandar of Sindh to Basra, Muscat and Hormuz and upon which they made extraordinary profits. So in the Berenzi's work, uh, uh, one uh, Moko Pereira's uh, experience is noted and he had cruised off Muscat with the task of preventing that any small ships would cross over from Sindh, which was so that no supplies pass into the Imam's land. So, you know, like how there were these attempts to uh, check the uh, Sindh's uh, connection with Muscat. So, undoubtedly, the granary of Sindh critically fed both the populace of the Gulfs of Kutch and Arabia. So the surging wave of mundane commodities are very important. Okay, And people and commercial ideas across the geographic boundaries strengthen the in- integrative role of the littoral spaces. The product of Sindh and Kutch thus ensured the integration of economy of its region into the Indian Ocean economy and it profitably strengthened the commercial position of merchants in the wider networks. The exposure of Kutch and Katiawa to the demands of the world market caused uh, the reorientation of their regional economy, society and settlement patterns in the 18th century towards uh, specialized production of uh, uh, cotton, ivory among many more. So the degree of integration and its uh, impact on economies of these zones 
was unprecedented and it styled up a long history of commodity specialization which linked the adjoining regions and indirectly to more distant markets of west through an in import export trade in the specialized products and there are several uh, parallels you know between the shikarpuri thattai kachi halari bhatias who successfully embedded their capital networks in the indian ocean credit system so um, when we uh, situate in this entire narrative by the uh, i mean uh, mandvi in the entire narrative by the beginning of 18th century uh, you see uh, mandvi unquestionable questionably uh, emerged as a key player in cotton and textile circulation and market formation and it had developed interlocking networks with the hinterland so however the trade with east africa changed the fortunes of mandvi as the orbit of uh, investment profitably expanded so the fortune changer commodity of course was ivory and which made kachi's economy more vibrant and monetized and ivory from mandvi was circulated with the hinterland trading centers of pali and marwar which i have already mentioned so these centers were uh, mandvi's trading partners in textile circulations also so there was a strong nexus between um, the artisans and caravan merchants to bring woven fabric from uh, marwar and pali once surat's uh, prominence was fading away mandvi took over this privileged position of repository of goods in the northern western india and the merchants of mandvi endeavored to establish their, their former control over the foreign trade and uh, very importantly the trade links between mandvi and bombay and contours of uh, its uh, economic history narrates how the oceanic exchanges integrated the regional economy of kutch to that of the western indian ocean the trans regional trade of east africa with kutch was built on interwoven circuits of commerce and um, uh, which stretched up to the red sea and arabia also so in a trans oceanic way it winged until europe and northeastern coast of america swahili coast for instance was frequently visited by the arabian dhows carrying the gulf and south asian peculiarities in exchange for ivory slaves spice gum copal such interport traffic engineered the trade with mainland foreland um interland and that of the uh, sea and thus jutted out the rich uh, you know a kind of rich uh, cross uh, sorry uh, cross cultural and trans regional uh, trading system in such a rich trading system the mercantile class brought about considerable alteration in the living standards by introducing the commodities which were otherwise not possible to procure this called for the reliance over the mercantile groups for the flow of merchandise uh, on the uh, customary basis uh, it was uh, then the constant surge of subsistence mundane and luxurious commodities that triggered the multi-layered expansion of the consumer and material culture and also of market economy and money markets so the exploration of foreign markets resultantly facilitated the greater circulation of capital and goods the developed taste and uh, trend of importing subsistence commodities along with the luxurious items fostered a large participation and requirement of merchants uh, and it also increased the bazaar power mm -hmm. thank you for sketching these uh, broad networks across the ocean but also across the land uh in the second chapter we moved to talk about pearls days and arms kachi entrepreneurs in muscat uh in this second chapter um you sketch out the rise of muscat trade and settlements in the persian gulf even the constitution of a little kutch in muscat itself Um, would you like to tell us more about the Bahrain Muscat Kutch Bombay axis as you describe and how would you narrate the long 19th century of these trade networks and the advent of colonialism between the Arabian Sea and the Persian Gulf Interestingly by the mid and late 18th century the tone of 19th century trading network was set 
it was the coffee trade during the late and 17th and 18th centuries and entry of muscat and manvi shifted the i mean muscat and manvi uh, traders also and uh, other players shifted the balance with the entry of bombay it became evident uh, that the theory of port to port transfer as i have already referred is not sing- singularly applicable the idea of reciprocity and interconnectedness or interlocking networks developed so in that way the long 19th century networks emerged by then the british brought uh, bombay uh into prominence and had extended uh, the frontiers of their empire to the persian gulf so the political correspondences in form of the diaries and volumes loudly speak about the persian missions um treaties signed with the uh, muscat rulers to check the aggression of uh, uh, aggression of qasimis or even wahhabis by the 1820s the issue of piracy in the persian gulf subsided with the signing of the treaties the british emerged as a, a protector to pace down the frequency of water warfare among the sheikhdom during the pearl fishery season so this was all uh, you know um, uh, part of this political uh, kind of you know in uh, political game of the british who played the sophisticated role of peacemaker between the arab kabilas and engaged in pearl fishery with the help of powerful naval squadron uh, british intervention was visible in persia turkey and arabia and they protected um, their uh, commerce and uh, merchants and this this is what the excuse they kept giving and despite the big claims of the british violation of maritime truce was a regular affair and made the british uh, realize that it was not all easy to play the role of peace ambassador however the british were confident of positive result of their timely intervention as they uh, identified it as and they took uh, kind of actions uh, against the sheikhs to achieve uh, the peace during the pearl diving season and often throughout the first half of the uh, 19th century the gulf witnessed fre- uh, frequent uh, uh, collision among these sheikhs these disturbed states of affairs negatively affected the pearl fishing business um, the disputes occurred because so many boats uh, jostled in the same uh, in the small pearl fishery belt so the several maritime chiefs of the littoral then entered into a maritime truce and bound themselves to the arbitrage of the english resident in the persian gulf so the pearling activity had become a kind of shuttlecock of british diplomacy for the 19th century and maritime warfare in the persian gulf facilitated the british diplomacy and maritime truce mainly through the subterfuge of pax britannica in the persian gulf in fact you know the idea of pax britannica and construct uh, of course imaginary uh, construct of the uh, british lake all emerged during this century government uh, published literature in form of the selections increased during this period uh, to potentially uh, kind of promote the idea of their empire their royal navy and the british flag uh, uh, which is um, known in the gujarati uh, literature as the company sarkar had become a force it was the time for the indigenous maritime powers seafaring and mercantile communities to renegotiate their positioning in the indian ocean uh, trading world and some could sustain and others relegated in the margin so this is how you know you can see the hist- uh, history of colonialism sets in as far as uh, pearl pearl trade and bombay ba- uh, sorry barin bombay uh, muscat axis is concerned it is quite interesting to uh, note about uh, you know how uh, the entire concept of uh, intermediate markets uh, and uh, its connection with the re-exportation center and uh, final 
uh, exportation destination comes into shape with the with this small uh, tiny commodity but highly valued in its uh, 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 you know in its bazaars uh, uh, you can say or markets value so um, barin was definitely the one which was uh, having a larger share in the uh, pearl fishery operations so those sindhi bhatias who were based in barin uh, would uh, kind of uh, you know invest their uh, uh, you can say capital in uh, the pearl fishing operation but uh, their trade uh, or their uh, the financial uh, networks or invisible networks were connected with bombay and muscat so uh, from both the places they were finance uh, i mean they were uh, managing their finances uh, one from the kachi uh, bhatias and khojas based in uh, muscat itself and then khojas bhatias and the uh parsi traders even jain traders from bombay financed the trade so there were ma- many players in this entire uh, pearl trade and uh, connecting it finally to the pearl capital as it was known by then um, that is bombay bazaar because bombay bazaar uh, where parsis uh, uh, and the jain merchants played the important role in the re-exportation of it to china so uh, you know uh, there were uh, different kind of markets uh, uh, which bombay uh, offered to the poles of the uh, persian gulf or the arabian gulf as you would like to state mhm thank you for uh, uh, elucidating these networks between the persian gulf and, and gujarat uh, they are fascinating in multiple ways um in the third chapter Kachi enterprise in Zanzibar we moved to sub-saharan africa and the islands of zanzibar to learn about zanzibari attractions foreign trade and ivory cloves Af- and african consumers as well as um euro-american and indian enterprise in africa in this chapter you compare zanzibar to singapore or dubai uh, in, in today's in today's world um and the, and we learn about the magnitude of indian kachi enterprise so i would like to ask what sort of opportunities zanzibar offered to kachi and gujarati trade networks in terms of commodities institutions governance and consumerships well i i would like to say numerous opportunities uh, for sailing over the deep uh, ocean these men of enterprise summarized interesting narratives of fortune misfortune and hope and painted a picture of com- commonality uh, this concept was quite visible in their respective trading experiences ivory and uh, other commodities uh, changed the fortunes of some of the bhatias and khoja merchants and alongside the communities they belonged to for uh, after making the fortunes out of ivory and textile exchange they scripted the chapter of the growth story of their respective communities in terms of building schools hospitals musafir khanas uh, rest houses mosques jamat khanas panjrapur panjrapur is a gujarati word which is uh, kind of a, a space to take care of the abandoned cattle among others now with benign uh, activities such as uh, opening the schools hospitals or musafir khanas or throwing a feast these merchants reasserted their status in the community and repeatedly secured the high status such social standings awakened in apprentices uh some kind of uh, sublimely conscious uh interest and energy for matching up uh, to their community uh, lofty social kind of icons and for instance alidana vishram uh, who was also uh, known as the ivory king one of the ivory kings because there are others also uh, given the same title tharia topan is also given so who did uh, shop floor uh, chose at Sh- uh, Sh- uh, shiva haji paru's farm uh, 
सुन सरपाज इज एम्प्लॉयर बोथ इन कंट्रोलिंग मच ऑफ द ट्रेड ऑफ द ईस्ट आफ्रीकन इंटीरियर एंड द फिलानथ्रॉफी so by examining this this kind of links created by these uh, cultural ties in tandem with the economic links provided by local trade we do gain a clear picture of the institutional connections which foster the cohesion of regional socio economic units on the one hand it plays them strongly in the bazaar economy of bombay Uh, for bombay emerged as a central market to draw a huge chunk of ivory clove and uh, copal and it created re-exportation opportunities to other mercantile communities circularities and intersecting trading interest invisible networks of finances both local and foreign markets uh, further after the civil war of america in 1860 the bombay textile found its formidable way in the zanzibar market so the cotton uh, mania of uh, bombay echoed uh, strongly in zanzibar in 1864 uh, the entire export uh, amounted to uh, you know around let's say Mm, 427,016 uh, of this uh, were uh, around 119,000 uh, plus worth went to British, and in fact, to British and uh, 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 sorry, uh, to British India and also to Bombay. When we count, it was around um, 1,100 uh, uh, kind of uh, distribution. so thus uh, india uh, received more than half the quantity and uh, indians were enriched by providing the european merchants with a large share of remainder so the con- consul uh, of uh, uh, england at that time perceived that 120th was about the portion of trade of of this place which did not pass through the uh, the hands of indian uh, merchants so you know most of the trade passed through them so the indian entrepreneurs in zanzibar acquired most of the merchandise and they mar- marketed it uh, uh, to zanzibar muscat and india as bombay's share in the textile circulation in the central and eastern african infi- interior uh, increased and it brought about a textile revolution in bombay this is very important to note because the mill culture developed which attracted investments from the glasgow based scottish merchants such as the finlays on whom i am uh, currently researching and uh, jerk the manchester chamber of commerce uh, governance uh, barring few hindrances from the sultan of burgas Uh, sorry sultan burgers indians it uh, it it was like you know facilitative in nature beside custom franchise almost remained with the kachis so they could play a de- defining role in the uh, monetized economy of zanzibar what they were best at had thus a greater scope and more specifically their tried and tested business systems exchanges in hundi and commercial structures of bazaar pedi that is form animatedly highlight uh, the mercantile milieu of zanzibar till date so one of the incentives for these merchants to rise in economic uh, prominence was to gain the uh, status in their community so this is how it is all interlinked mm-hmm. thank you for that uh, sketching uh, of of zanzibar trade with gujarat and kutch In the fourth chapter, you bring together Oman and Zanzibar by talking about Kachi mercantile firms, and you illustrate the business biographies of many trade households in Oman, such as the house of uh, Bimani's, uh, Atansi, uh, Pushatam, uh, uh, the Goswamis, Kimji Ramdas, and so many others. And in Zanzibar, Shivji uh, Topan, Jairam Shivji, uh, even the relationship with the American traders, such as Richard Waters. Uh, and others um how would you in, in broad strokes compare and contrast between the diverse historical experiences of these merchant families in Zanzibar and Oman and what are some of their present involvements in the former trade networks 
their relations to capital and political authorities uh, was ambivalent as the state loomed as a threat for many uh, merchants chiefly when its governors confiscated merchants fortunes or fleeced money or overtaxed them and it also sometimes partnered their enterprise and facilitated their commercial operations so this is where the uh, you know uh, contrast can be noted and their trading fortunes largely depended on the creation of transversal trading networks so as the dealers in the business of commodities they were cleverly associated in the process of globalization and concurrently with the merchants of the west and in most cases they directed their own course of action claiming the spaces of the shore and the port the custom house and the warehouses of their own more than that they themselves uh, traded these special relations carving out a new landscape of acquaintance and pulling together dispersed localities in unforeseen and novel ways in pleasing the american clients and consumers besides dealing in marine and farm products of numerous varieties they bravely plunged into the arms trade which was fraught with high risk so uh, while the world order was marching on a fragile balance it triggered by the tense relations between the western powers which were loudly echoed in the asian continent kachi merchants used their commercial uh, foresight in making quick money out of the increasing demand for some of the commodities um, such as arms though different groups and cultures in a dynamic foreign environment coexisted the challenges of preserving identity assimilation and adaptation uh, sorry adaptation of uh, or sorry adaptation were multiple and interesting uh, areas of uh, investigation hitherto uh, largely ignored would be the variegated response of gujarati migrants to alien mercantile and cultural environments across the sea though in the diverse milieus of zanzibar and muscat they thrived on the similar trading experiences historically both these ports um, ports economy and uh, polities first offered the trade centric facilitative milieus say for instance they had a greater say in the framing the economic policies or determining the currency values and in sensitive court cases mostly uh, around slavery uh, both the local and the british extra territorial uh, jurisdiction sought their intervention and yet the distinct experience do emerge towards the end of the 19th century when the colonial uh, politics tightened its noose their historical uh, customs control was challenged and later on robbed off as this uh, individual mercantile firms were politically targeted thriving on the former trade networks uh, if i have to talk about uh, the present day uh, 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 some uh, kachi firms um, Kimji Ramdas in Muscat uh, is still a dominant mercantile family and however they have diversified and plunged into a range of businesses such as heavy industries of construction and real uh, also in the real estates um, uh, they have also taken up the franchises of the global outlets outlets such as pizza hut and others but the uh, Uh, but now what i hear very recently uh, because of the pandemic uh, the uh, the badly impacted economy of uh, muscat uh, has somewhere uh, left an impact uh, a kind of a negative impact on tra- trading em- enterprise of uh, khimjis uh, who have reduced their uh, size i mean you know their investments in the real estate and let's see what is stored for them but another family is uh, quite steady since 193 years is uh, karimji jivanji family and its enterprise in zanzibar i like the khimjis uh, uh, 
have developed wide interest in taking up multiple franchises uh, um you know and they are uh, i mean like uh, kinjis they have also taken up this and they are agri businesses in the plantation products such as um, cecil uh, cecil uh, coffee tea are quite impressive and their investments are in property and automobiles a strong legacy for philanthropy in tanzania such as building schools hospitals this all is alive uh, through the karinji's uh, enterprise karinji clinic is there and even hospitals are there so providing educational scholarships supporting school, local communities that is also happening by khinji ramdas in muskat so some of the older uh, uh, ways of uh, mercantile life continues whereas the businesses have largely diversified even the pawanis of muskat for example had a long continuity but very recently they are uh, also you know somewhere uh, marginalized as their financial network experiences reverses so uh, and ratanshi pushotam's descendant vimal purecha and his son still live in muskat and follow the financial business but the size of operation is not the same as it was during the time of uh, ratanshi so this is how one can talk about the mercantile firms and they are present mm-hmm. which really which really shows the resiliency and adaptability of these firms as well as that there is a history to be written of the post colonial uh, trade networks in the indian ocean and that the, the trade network of the 19th and early 20th century are not something of the past but continue to be relevant in today's world and many yeah. of these actors as well interestingly have also integrated and uh were nationalized uh, in Oman uh, as well as in East Africa as citizens uh, of these different states adapting new identities uh, and new customs and new ways of identifying um right. thank thank you so much for <clears throat> sharing with us uh, the amazing world of uh globalization before its time and the book beside being a really useful introduction to the the trade world uh and in this in the Indian Ocean world specifically of Gujarat and Kutch it also includes a very extensive useful glossary of Kutchi and Gujarati terminology which makes it also of interest to specialists who would like to learn more about uh the history of trade uh, in the region uh we'll try we've taken a lot of your time and um i know you've edited a volume which we will be talking about uh in the next episode with Ned Alpers trans regional trade and traders situated in Gujarat and the Indian Ocean from early times to 1900 published by Oxford University Press in 2019 um beside this book uh, what have you been working on or what you hope to work on in the future okay so my current work is a book project on the maritime trade and piracy in the gulf of kutch uh, so after uh, chasing the merchants i am chasing the pirates who loved chasing the merchants uh, of course all metaphorically i'm just saying initially this uh, research on piracy was a part of my dissertation but uh, i had already cast a wider net over uh, three literal spaces of kutch muskat and zanzibar and uh, the trading network which emerged out of it so my supervisor told me to check out the uh, chapter on piracy uh good i did that because now i am in a better position to do justice to it with a range of sources i have consulted including the portuguese records and in fact these very records uh, pushed the timeline uh, of my book to uh, 1650 as against uh, 1780 as a start point uh, i had already i mean initially decided to research from 1780 but um, now i have reached to this uh, 17th century mid 17th century so i am quite excited to uh, share the kind of sources i have come across uh, and it would certainly add a new dimension to the historiography on the maritime aggression and it also highlights the little known facts on the piratical culture of the arabian sea so um, uh, stay tuned for it and uh, 
the way you know it is said god willing or inshallah if it happens then nothing like that and besides that i am hoping to write a research paper on the finlays which i just mentioned um uh, they are uh, enter- uh, textile and tea enterprise in bombay and assam and a book which the bhatias want me to write on their overseas linkages so my hands are full in this this book this this sounds really exciting and we will be looking forward to them and thank you for following up on these threads uh and thank you for uh talking about your book today i really enjoyed reading it and i hope the others will enjoy it too Thank you for listening to today's episode in which we explored globalization before its time the Gujarati merchant from Kutch published by Penguin Books in 2016 this is your host Ahmed Mazmi stay tuned for the next episode of new books in the indian ocean world